Tag Box Talk, and this is Horse Stories with a Purpose. Who are we? We are equine educators, but we are owners. We are judges. We are competitors. We are coaches. We are volunteers. We are moms. We are horse owners just like you, and we want to share our horse stories with a purpose. Welcome to Extension Horse's Tack Box Talk Series, Horse Stories with a Purpose. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Heine with Oklahoma State University, and we're delighted to have a newly returning guest with us, Dr. Sandra Tenerbrook from the University of Florida. So welcome back, Dr. Tenerbrook. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. So it's January, and we're getting a head start on the topic of breeding horses. So first of all, Sandra, why would I even be talking about January and breeding horses? Well, first of all, your, it's your foaling season after January one. The mares are if you if you've targeted early babies, which if you're showing horses young but less than two years old or racing, you want to have babies born early in the year. So we should be having babies hitting the ground like starting this week and on through the spring, and then you have to breed them back. But um, we generally try not to breed a mare till February fifteenth because of their 340-day average gestation. We don't want to have a December baby because January 1, all babies get become a year older. So we want them born after January 1, but as close to January 1 as possible if you're going to show them or raise them at a young age. Yeah, and that's not everybody. I know when we were talking um, to Dr. Williams the other day, she was talking about breeding Pinky, um, which we all remember Pinky had her uh, accident, and so she has to be a broodmare now. But she was breeding Pinky in September. I was like, Carrie, what are you talking about? But for her, right, those That's horses funny. aren't going to do their riding career until much later in life, so a few Absolutely. months, and yeah. you're going to make a difference. Yeah, dressage horses, um, Pasofino folks. Another, most of those Pasos are from South America, and they'll breed more year-round, but they routinely breed in the summer. Um, Tennessee walkers have two separate show classifications for when they're born if they're spring born or fall born so yeah you got to do what's right for your program yeah so for for the traditional world of show horses that emphasize maturity classes showing young and race horses we do get a really good head start on the breeding season to try to get that few months advantage on those babies when they're sold um, it, it does make a difference so the problem is though Horses don't want to start breeding in February normally. Isn't that right? Right. Yeah. The fundamental issue is you cannot get a mare pregnant if she doesn't ovulate. And on average, horses in the Northern Hemisphere ovulate beginning April the 1st. Which, if you could get them bred early April, and that's when horses would do it on their own, April, May, June, you'd have March, April, and May babies. But, um, but people want January babies, so we got to try to get them to ovulate sooner than April 1st. So we just essentially made this a lot harder on ourselves. Absolutely. So, so maybe if they, we can we get know them, better than God. Right. Could, <laughs> if we could convince people to change the magic birthday to March 1, wouldn't this just be a lot easier? Absolutely. Without question. Should we start a campaign? Um, I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> Darn it. So, all right. So... We got this problem. Horses aren't going to start cycling normally, but we want to make these early babies. But we do have a fair number of tricks up our sleeves, isn't Absolutely. that right, to sure. try to get going early? Sure, sure. And we always focus on the mare, but sometimes we have a problem with the stallion. You can have libido issues. Um, sex drive may not be what you'd like it to be early, that early as well. But um, with the mare, um, the reason, the way their reproductive cyclicity and their ovulation time is... Um, 
synchronized with the environment is through length of day. So we can fool Mother Nature and put mirrors under extended day, a couple hours at dusk, starting no, no later than December 1 or Thanksgiving, somewhere around there. Every evening, put them under a couple extra hours of light, and they will start ovulating by mid-February. So when we talk about light, how much light do we need? Is this a football stadium light, parking lot, uh, ambient? Is this my night light? Yeah, you know, I, used to, I used to actually know the, um, the actual lumens because that was my master's work. But if you can read a newspaper, that's enough light. Does it depend on what age you are reading that newspaper? <laughs> uh, yes. No. <laughs> so this so, is a young person reading the newspaper? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's funny um, that we mentioned um, the light thing because when I finished my master's, we looked at, we put pregnant mares under lights as well, and we shortened gestation a little bit or kept them from going long. And um, there was a really brilliant lady in Ireland that came up with a product called Echoloom, and um, for brood mares that are falling so that they don't carry the babies long and then to also get them to cycle back quickly if they're falling early in the year, they wear this Kevlar mask and it has a, a photo sensor on it. So when the sun starts going down, the light comes on. It's only over the right eye because you work with them on the left. So it's a really, it was really cool. I got to meet her one time and it was very cool to see your master's work be turned into something entrepreneurial, a product to help horse owners. I don't get any royalties, but... <laughs> but no, fun. I've seen those on some horses now. I actually, um, our farm in Oklahoma had had some, and at first I just thought they had injured a whole bunch of eyes on their horses, and I was like, what are you doing? And then I looked a little closer, and it was that product that yeah, they were wearing. It's pretty neat, yeah. Turns out they injured their eyes at a different point in time. <laughs> so. <laughs> okay, so we have lights. Um, in other species a lot of times they use hormonal manipulation is there anything we could do with the horse with kind of synthetic hormones or do we just really got to shine a light in their eye there's a few things you can do um but it, it's not really um not every horse is going to respond and you add hormones and it's pretty expensive but some people have tried putting them on progesterone to kind of shut everything down and maybe help to kind of bank some GnRH going but the real problem with horses cycling, with horses ovulating, they have to have LH to ovulate. And there's a good body of evidence that the gene that codes for LH is turned off. And so the magic trigger in the horse physiologically is that LH gene is turned on. And it seems to require a couple of waves of follicles producing not so good estrogen. And then all of a sudden the LH gene turns on. And if we could unlock that trigger, Man, we could make a lot of money, but some people have had some success. Su sorry, some success with GnRH um, analogs, uh, but really, there's not a real good program, hormonally speaking. So I, I want to talk about you know what the horse naturally does because this may be surprising for people, or maybe if you're a mare owner, you are sometimes frustrated in the spring because horses don't just magically start cycling. That's right. They kind of ease into it. Sure. It's not a light switch. It is not a light switch. Now, there are some mares that will show estrus behavior year round, but there's a, you know, they probably don't ovulate in the winter time. But, um, but there is a time that we call vernal transition when the days start getting longer. So after December um, solstice, you know, where the days are the, sh the shortest, 
they start getting longer. The mare recognizes that through her nervous system and uh, things start waking up. So follicles begin to grow because follicle stimulating hormone works, but um, they're not competent. The uterus is still flaccid uh, or limp, noodly, not capable of really growing a baby and there's no ovulation. So they'll grow some follicles, which means they're gonna show heat because they have estrogen. So they'll show behavioral signs of estrus, they'll start teasing. And unless you're tracking those mares ovaries with ultrasound and or palpation, sometimes people will breed mares because they're in standing estrus, but they're not ovulating. And again, if they don't ovulate, they won't get pregnant. So the mare is willing, but just it's kind of like for fun? Well, I don't know. I guess we, we shouldn't put our we shouldn't anthropomorphize. But yeah, I guess it might be, it might be for fun. But sometimes they have ambiguous signals too. They'll they'll tease one minute and then they'll swish their tail and pin their ears the next. So it might be a little bit treacherous for the stallions. Yes. And no means no. And no means no. <laughs> so you had mentioned let's switch to the boys a little bit. Yeah. So you said that the the boys sometimes in the spring aren't interested as well. Is that nature's way of saying, hey, you know what? The girls aren't probably ready. I don't need you being crazy and hounding them all the time to just like tone it down a bit, dude. Maybe so. Um, but I would say that, um, that that if you track the behavior of the stallion, I know you've had some, some podcasts on stallion behavior, which is pretty entertaining. Um, their libido is much stronger when the days are long. And if you, if you did daily sperm counts, their daily sperm output is going to be a little lower during the winter time and transition time. Um, but because we do put mares under lights, if uh, we can, in fact, put our stallions under lights, and, um, and maybe that would be a good thing to do. But I will, I will share a story. When I was in grad school, we had, um, I won't say my major professor's name, everybody would know, but we had several stallions, and it was his um, supposition that we should, we should keep those studs under lights year-round. Um, or at least all winter, because one of the side effects of lights is shedding hair. So a lot of people use the light thing, mm -hmm. the light trick to, to get slick hair coats. So um, because I was reading all the literature for my research, I went to my professor and I said, hey, we really shouldn't put those stallions under lights around because they'll become refractory. And then they might stop, their libido might wane right in April when we need them to be at their best. He goes, ah, that's not true. Well, sure enough, that spring, we had a couple of horses that would have to mount three, four times from could get a collection. It was a real problem. And um, the following year, we did a, a research update for the deans and all, and it was funny. He stood up there and poked his chest out, and he's like, well, we can use lights to give them a slick haircut, but you can't keep them under lights year-round because they can go refractory. <laughs> so I thought, good point, Dr. Blank. That you so, learned from me. It was so fun. But uh, yeah, so if and then if the horse has libido issues and you're trying to ship semen in February, that can be a problem. We we actually had a stud that we were standing for a show group, and um, first of all, they gave him Regimate, which is synthetic progesterone, to calm his behavior because the barn crew was scared of him. Mm -hmm. We didn't know that till after the breeding season. So he would come to us at the beginning of the breeding season, and we had real libido issues. And so one year we decided he likes gray mares. So um, we couldn't get him collected without a gray mare. Well, we don't have that many gray mares and they aren't always in heat. So we had a mare that wasn't the greatest producer. So we 
um, went to the vet school and got her overreactomized, and we gave her hormones so that she would be a good teaser mare all the time. Well, the following, so that worked great for that season. The next season, he didn't like gray mares anymore. <laughs> didn't do a thing for him. So we had this brilliant farm manager, and she said, you know, I've got a pink slinky. So she, she put a pink slinky on a mare. Sure enough, we got him collected. And then the next day, he, that didn't excite him anymore. So she brought out a camouflage slinky and put a new slinky. So we were able to trick him a little bit, but... He was a challenge throughout the so spring. He liked variety. The, in his well, life, huh? you know, when his libido was down, we had to pump it up a bit. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, I knew a, a horse that. Uh, and you talk about that visual. I don't even know why it would make a difference to him, but this horse, like, if you uh, would bring him a gray mare, he would go hide in his stall, like his head in the corner. He was like, <laughs> "Nope, I hate her. No way, no how am I even going to look at that mare?" Yeah, could have been an early experience as a foal where there was a dominant alpha a gray mare gray that mare. was mean to him. <laughs> Those childhood yeah, memories, flashbacks. Yeah, it was scarred. <laughs> so, yeah, those boys, we always just think they'll do their job, but sometimes you really have to take care of them and kind of accommodate what they like because if he's not playing. Yeah, without an erection, you can't collect semen or breed a mare. <laughs> Never wiser words. <laughs> so I want to talk another uh, con- maybe controversy topic about trying to breed early and maybe it's not controversial maybe i make up controversies but full heat a lot of people have some varying viewpoints on whether or not you should breed a mare on the first cycle after she foals. so what are your thoughts on that cursed or not cursed full heat okay well when you look at production practices and, and, and think from an economic standpoint and in a reproduction efficiency standpoint, we would love our females, whether it's cows, horses, pigs, we would love them to have as many babies in their lifetime as they can. And for horses, because they have an 11-month-ish gestation, in order to have a foal every year without sliding later and later in the year, they have to get bred back within 30 days after falling, assuming or 25 days, actually. If they go 340, it would be 25 days. So um, the horse, naturally, on their own, will breed, will have a fertile full heat estrus. So in my mind, if that's how they're designed, then it's okay. The problem is, <clears throat> sometimes we'll breed on full heat, and they won't conceive. And then you have once you've bred them, you have to wait the full 21 days to see if they come back in on their own, or, or ovulate on their own, 16 days and then breed them the next cycle. If we skip fall heat, we can give them time to ovulate, build a CL, and short cycle them and save ourselves about 10 days. So the way we make that decision is we look and see when does she come in heat. If she comes in fall heat really, really early, then we have some concerns that her uterus has not had time to repair sufficiently. So we use a benchmark of day 10. If the mare doesn't ovulate before day 10, we are happy to breed on fall heat. If she, if she ovulates before day 10, we skip that ovulation. On day five post-ovulation, we'll give them prostaglandin. She'll come back in heat three or four days later, and we can breed her on that heat. And generally, we have pretty good conception. There's another, there's a few other contraindicators for fall heat, and that would be if she's really bruised, if she had a difficult delivery at all. Um, there's, there may be, if you palpate her and she's got fluid, ultrasound she's got fluid in her uterus or excess discharge so there are some conditions where you want to say no let's give her a little more time but 
generally speaking, the mare naturally is designed to have a fertile full heat estrus. So yeah, you should be able to breed her in full heat. Yeah, I remember reading some, and so hopefully the like trigger alert here, I read something on some uh, little website or whatever where they were castigating the horse industry, but one of their points of why we were evil is that, that we were raping horses on full heat. And I was like, what? That <laughs> seems a bit of a stretch because that's what she would be doing in the wild, Absolutely. right? So she was yeah. a Mustang, she was rape. an estrus. That's such a, that's such a, like a sensitive word. word. Yeah, it's so. a horrible word for... Yeah, and, and I think some people say the same thing about artificial insemination across livestock species. They find it as an abomination, but we do it in dogs too and chickens. So, But yeah, um, the mare is receptive. She um, In the thoroughbred industry, mares are bred on full heat routinely, and they only do live covers, so it's not artificial insemination. So yeah, um, it's a lot of that's just, I'll use the word ignorance, means lack of knowledge. People just don't understand um, animal biology yeah they, they want to equate human terms to everything they see yeah and i would always say you know in, in defense of doing ai and i used to breed horses i'm a fairly little person and yeah. i was pretty non-invasive to that Absolutely. Mare, so. Yeah, you'd be less likely to cause her damage than natural cover. Yes, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So, um, so what about you know when we're talking about doing all this fancy stuff and, and knowing when she's ovulating and what her uterus looks like? The average owner, right, is is not gonna know that. So you really do need to be working with a veterinarian absolutely. to know when to breed your horse. Although you know, I don't, I don't palpate my mares at home. I have a gelding that. When they're, when they're feeling sexy, they go, they, they bug him to death. They will trail him all day long. So I know when they're in heat. And because I, I, I write things down, I know, well, this mare is typically in heat five days. She just came in today because she's bugging old Ben. And, um, some, I have one mare that won't leave him alone till he mounts her. Now he doesn't mount her with an erection, but so having a gelding around, I'm able to tell when my mares are in heat. So you don't have to ultrasound and palpate. You, If you kind of pay attention and, and read your horses, you can still get horses spread just by what their behaviors tell you. But if you're shipping in semen and you're paying $450 collection fee and you want to have a good relationship with that stallion manager and not call them for semen three times during one heat, then you absolutely should be ultrasounding your mare, palpating your mare. And most people don't have that skill set, so you need to work with your veterinarian and get that done. And that's a little bit, again, kind of talking about um, discipline or breed dependent. So with thoroughbreds, it's live cover. So you're taking that horse to the stallion. If you're breeding your own mare um, and she's going to a stallion and staying there, like they may just do breeder every other day. But yeah, when you're shipping semen... Yeah. You have to know the day, yep. sometimes the hour, right, yep. when she's going to ovulate. And you got to plan ahead, too, because you have to request the semen, uh, you know, before. So not everybody collects semen every day. They might do it Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So you have to use a crystal ball almost and guess. And mares will make a liar out of you lots of times. So you'll think they're going to hold till Wednesday, and then they ovulate Tuesday before you get the semen. So... There's art and science to breeding horses. But I would say even the thoroughbred folks, when you want to breed live cover to a popular stud, you have to make a date for that mare. And um, if their book is really heavy, if they have a lot of mares a book to them, a lot of times they'll, they'll breed those stallions three times a day. And um, they're not going to let you come back two or three times, even though it's live cover. So even with a live cover situation, having a pretty good idea where your mare is is, is an important 
part now, of it. Now, what about the, the baby on the side of things? So we talked about the full heat and it's a fertile heat, but for some mares, especially maybe younger mare or maybe not younger, first timers, they're really, really, really worried about that baby. Oh, yeah. Yeah, does yeah. that get in the way of the reproduction process? It does. I mean, teasing mares and, and recording their behaviors is the cornerstone of a successful breeding program. And, and when a mare has a full at her side, she is torn between her maternal instincts and her um, instinct to rebreed. So one of the things I've noticed when we're teasing mares, we put our mares and foals in a stall, and then we take the stallion down the line and record behaviors. And we start watching before we get anywhere close, because sometimes those mares, when you're when the stallion's coming up the hill and he's all in his posturing and he's vocalizing, you know, talking to him, and then you look up there and she lifts her tail and winks and urinates. But when he gets close to her, she's swishing her tail and pinning her ears and trying to kick him. And then you get two or three mares further down, you look back and she's teasing again. So with wet mares, you really have to do diligence to make sure you're paying attention to everything she's telling you. And if you know it's the right time, then you just even if, some mares absolutely will not tease when they get a baby in their side. So then you, that's where ultrasound and palpation really have value because you can go ahead and check them, see what's going on. And that's why a lot of, you know, the major farms rely on that quite, quite so much because sure. they don't have time to wait around and see if she's sure. going to do something or not. They just put them in the palpation chute and, and go. But even with, you know, I think, you know, understanding horse behavior is, is kind of fun. So even if they don't have foals, not all mares will ever show to a stallion right. either. So it's not a given that you can just look at her and her interaction with the male horse and see what's happening. Absolutely. I mean, a ma- maiden mare, for example, one that's never been bred, they're, a lot of times they're scared. So um, it sounds funny, but having kind of a Casanova stallion is the one that really knows his job, that courts that mare. He'll... He'll talk to her. He won't, you know, stallions that come in all bowed up and squealing and stomping, that's going to further scare her. But if you have a, a very seasoned teaser stallion that's going to court her and give her a little wither rub with his lips and work his way back to the business end, that's, those things, those boys are worth their weight in gold. And if you go to big breeding farms, they will definitely, um, tout the prowess of their teaser studs and, and, and basically exclaim how valuable those really good teaser studs are because a a really good stud can convince a mare to kind of show where she is but a lot of mares are afraid of the stallion and isn't it uh, true maybe you know stallions that have actually been pasture bred so they get to figure it out on their own and they they get to mare trains them (laughs) yeah that they're actually better behaved than some of our other stallions yeah we had a young horse one time that he just couldn't figure things out, so we turned him out in, in a paddock with um, with a really gentle broodmare, and, and, you know, he went crossways and backwards and forwards before he finally figured things out, but we let her train him, and it made our job a lot easier to teach him to get on the phantom. Yeah, and they teach him to have some manners sometimes, Absolutely. too. Absolutely, they won't put up with all that crap. Yeah. So I said a lot of the, the naughty stallion behavior um, is that when they're always right, right? So every time they go to the breeding shed, they get what they want. Sure. <laughs> so why do they have to have manners, right? It's right. all good times. Well, and that's where good stallion handling comes in and, 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 and using appropriate, timely negative reinforcement to suppress the, the behaviors that are going to be dangerous to the handlers as well as to the mare and, and not help the process. So... 
uh, a really good stallion handler is an important aspect too. Plus, everybody in the barn has their life in their hands, so you want to have right. somebody to trust on the end of that shank. Yeah, and I think a lot of people think that with a stallion, that maybe that machismo comes out, and that you have to dominate them and, and beat them down to, oh, to make them mine. But you'll yeah. make them crazy, won't you? Well, horses get frustrated first of all, so you really have to be a thinking person and. Um, if you're too aggressive with a stallion, then you're going to have libido problems. He'll get, why should I get an erection? I'm going to get whooped for that. Mm-hmm. And so, and even there's a lot of young stallions that are ridden in the show ring. And so they get spanked or reprimanded when they get an erection in a show pen. So transitioning from a show career to a breeding career is also a bit of an adjustment. So, yeah, you you almost need a degree in psychology. To, you know, you need to be the Dr. Ruth of horses kind of sort of to, to figure it all out. I'm really paying attention. Yeah, yeah. Those boys can be tender little souls after all. Yeah. Yeah. But they can also hurt you if you're not careful. So Yeah, so we definitely, and that's why, if you ever wondered why, we have so many rules about young uh, people and showing horses, but I think it's pretty universal, any 4-H group, that we say, no stallions, please. That's right. They're unpredictable. <laughs> yeah. So not for the youth, even if you think they're a sweetie pie doll, that's just, uh, they have a little bit more unpredictability to their nature. Extra brain. So anything else that we should know, um, kind of, People that are thinking about getting mares ready to be bred this year. Again, we're early. It's January. You have time. Don't panic. But some thoughts that people need to have in the back of their mind. Well, you want to enter the breeding season with your mares in good flesh. So hopefully you did that while you still had good grass cover. And so you're just maintaining them through the winter because thin mares are not very efficient. They they take longer to get pregnant and they have a higher percentage of early embryonic loss. So you want to fold, have your mares folding out in good flesh, maybe a six-body condition, or if it's a, an open mare or main mare, you want them in at least a five, preferably a six. So have them in good good nutritional situation. You want to um, make sure that they're vaccinated. Um, and the other thing is you, you can't be too early on making your plans relative to your breeding program and contact your stallion owner if you don't have your own stud and begin with your contracts and get all that stuff done as early as possible. And then there's always your help. You've got to line up your help and your equipment. And the last thing you want is to have the start of the season get there and, oh, I don't have any extender for my stallion. <laughs> so, you know, preparation pays regardless of what you're doing. Yeah. And then the last comment I'll make is, I think just because you have a broodmare that you love and maybe she did great things for her doesn't necessarily mean that you need to get a baby from her. We want a baby because we love her. Well, the idea in horse production to produce a baby is that you have a marketable offspring. And so um, we have a lot of problems in our industry with unwanted horses. And so if you're going to breed your mare, you should do that because you have a market for that baby or a specific need yourself and don't contribute to the unwanted horse population. Yeah, and I, you know, I've always said if you buy a horse, you know what you're getting. If you breed a horse, it's going to be a surprise. <laughs> That's absolutely right. Yeah. We yeah. would like to think they get the best characteristics of the mare and stallion, but... It doesn't it always doesn't work, work that, that way. way. Sometimes it sorts out that the worst things are what you yeah. get instead. So. Yeah. <laughs> so absolutely great advice, and I'm sure you're looking forward to starting your breeding season yep. soon. We got ours under lights, and we're ready to go. 
All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Tannenberg. And that has been another Tech Box Talk for Stories.